Hello, my name's Gary. And my name's Simon. And this is episode six of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On today's podcast, we'll be talking about range anxiety, what it is, how to remove or reduce it, and whether it's something we actually need to worry about at all. But before we get started, Simon, I want to ask you, do you have any idea how much the new Ionity chargers at the Milton Keynes hub are going to cost? There's been discussion on Twitter this week, and I'm not sure there's clarity on it at all. I've heard a fixed price per charge. I've heard subscription plus fixed price. I've heard subscription plus fixed charge plus a charge per kilowatt hour. What do you know? What do you say? Well, like you, I've heard various things. I mean, I've, I've been up to see it and obviously, unfortunately, when every time I've been up there, they've been either off or not ready. I've heard probably like you, uh, anywhere between £8 fixed cost for kind of a, like half an hour or an hour or whatever it is in terms of charging. And that was almost whether it was a introductory cost. And then there was £16 mentioned, which if it is, that's absolutely ludicrous. I don't care how much power is coming through that is those things i would hope it'll be one of two things that it, it would be a similar thing to maybe instavert where it's like a 35p per kilowatt and a kind of a, a contactless payment perhaps or a subscription i think if they're going to go down the kind of eight or eight pound or more fixed cost i think that's going to put a lot of people off unless you're one of those money's no object when i charge my car type thing which i'm not well exactly i think the the problem that we've got is there are multiple sources of information on here because yeah. if you look at the ionity website it says fixed price eight so it's eight euros or eight crowns kroners or eight pounds depending which country you're in but then jaguar land rover who were behind a lot of this have mm. released something about the ipace in germany which talks about something like seven 95 a month uh, 7 euros 95 a month as a sort of membership and then the 8 pounds per charge plus whatever it was 33 cents <laughs> per kilowatt hour on top of that but it just it wasn't clear exactly what they were talking about whether that applies to germany or whether it applies to everywhere or you know, is this introductory? Is it going to change? Unbelievable. Sounds so complicated. Sounds really complicated. I mean, and this is kind of what we, we were discussing before. It's, you know, people want it easy. You know, you want to go out there, swipe your card, away you go. And I I really can't see them going above £8 if it is. Because if they did, surely that just completely defeats the object of, of charging. I mean, because if you've got a bigger battery and able to charge a car faster... You shouldn't really be penalised for, you know, having modern technology to be able to do it quicker and, and, and more power. If anything, you know, it should be at least comparable. Yeah, I, I hope it goes to either a subscription or a contactless payment and it's reasonable. Mind you, even then, if you think about what are Instavolt at the moment, 36 pence? 30, yeah, 35, 36p. Yeah. Now, if you've got a, a 90 kilowatt hour battery, you're heading up towards 36, 37 pounds just to fill that from empty to full. Now, at, at what point do you then say, well, that's actually just as expensive as it was when I was having to put fuel in the car, given that the range is less than it was when I had a tank of fuel? You know, it's it's a fine line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I we've obviously spoke about this before, but yeah, I, I really hope that they're sensible about doing this because people can be very greedy when it comes to new technology our feature topic today is range anxiety now i don't know about you simon but whenever the subject turns to evs and people find out that i have one the first question i always get 
how far does it go? And the simple answer is, well, how far do you want it to go? I've done trips of 200 miles, and there are people with EVs who've driven from Land's End to John O'Groats and back from Europe to Outer Mongolia, across to and around Australia. The question shouldn't be how far does it go? The question should be what's the usable range? And that is a completely different topic. Fundamentally, people are concerned that they won't be able to get to where they need to go without running out of charge. But that's absolutely the wrong way to look at things. Nobody turns around to somebody driving a, a diesel Range Rover and says, how far does it go? Because the distance an ice an internal combustion engine car can go on a tank is irrelevant. So why do people ask the same question with EVs? And obviously, it's because they're trying to fit EVs into the ICE model of refueling. In reality, though, how often does that happen? I mean, Simon, how many people have you known who've run their EV down to such a state they've actually run out of charge and stopped? I don't really know of any, to be honest, that have actually stopped. I mean, personally, I've run mine down to uh, a low zero mile level, but not actually stopped. You know, we're not talking, uh, you know, you run out of your uh, juice on your phone and, and it just dies. How many people do you know who've run their ice vehicle so low they've had to go and get a can of petrol from a nearby station <laughs> and fill it up? Yeah, quite a lot. Dozens. Yeah. And indeed, we've almost all done it or we know someone who's run out of petrol. I myself, I was driving late at night with friends in northern Michigan about 15 years ago. And we got off on the wrong exit on the highway and ended up in the middle of nowhere with no fuel, no idea where the nearest station was, and an outside temperature of minus 16 Fahrenheit. <laughs> Believe me, that's cold. Now, <laughs> that's to, to say it was a bit squeaky bum was an understatement. I mean, eventually we managed to coast down a long hill to a gas station at the bottom, which just happened to be open at that uh, late hour. We were very lucky in that case. But, you know, coming back to the topic at, uh, at hand, the issue isn't actually running out of charge. It's the same as the issue with ice cars. It's not actually running out of fuel. The problem that causes a lot of the non-EV owners to have potential range anxiety is that if they do happen to get to a point where they have no charge, how will they refill their car? (laughs) Obviously, there's no way of running around with a bucket full of electrons to, to fill it up. So in reality, this is the underlying issue creating range anxiety. It shouldn't be called range anxiety. It should be called charger anxiety because it's all related to finding a charger you can use to top up. In real life, nobody's really concerned about running out of petrol or diesel. There are stations on most corners and you can you can buy a little plastic can and put a gallon of fuel in it, take it back to your car and now you're up and running unless you're in northern Michigan in the middle of the night in midwinter. But you can't generally do that with EVs. Hence the anxiety. Yeah, fundamentally, running out of charge is caused by the same factors uh, that running out of petrol is. Going too far without filling up. If you live in the old ice model, this this isn't an issue because you've got petrol stations almost on, you know, everywhere and every corner. You can fill up in about three to five minutes. If you have the mindset with an EV, you will raise uh, your anxiety levels. The EV model is different. With an EV, you rarely leave the house without a charge in the car. You know, you'll have the car charging overnight and the battery will be full or almost full the next day. Unless, of course, you're like you, who doesn't actually have a home charger and you have to deal with public charging. <laughs> so it's a little bit different in that case, isn't it? I would suggest I'm probably the minority for EV drivers. And, you know, we've discussed this before, but like it, it was a risk, I think, when I when I first bought my cars. People that don't uh, know me and don't know my situation, about a year ago I bought um, my BMW i3 and I live in a flat so I have absolutely zero access to my own home charging so you know the way I the, the way I do it is 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 completely different to likely the majority of people for me it's reliant on public charging predominantly 
I am lucky that when I, just before I bought my car, my boss had the foresight to add in work chargers, seven kilowatt work chargers. So they're not free, you know, I still have to pay for them. But I was lucky in that respect that I could charge at work, worst case. But other than that, I was back in the kind of ecotricity days before Polar started rolling out a lot of their their big kind of rollout. So yeah, I was very limited. And we'll come back and talk about work charging a little bit later on. But what mm. we've now got is is the situation where you know, we've got someone living in the model of ice refueling and they're trying to apply that to the EV model and they're looking at the published range and starting to worry. And of course, the other issue is that ranges differ wildly between EVs. You look at the original 24 kilowatt hour LEAF or even the IMEV, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, and I then you, so, yeah. then you compare that to something like one of the new Koners or the Eunero or the Model 3 with a range upwards of 250 or 300 miles. And your charger anxiety is going to be vastly different. If you've got a car that will do 300 miles on a charge, you're going to be more relaxed about taking a journey than you are with a car that will do, say, 85 miles, obviously. But in reality, there shouldn't really be a a difference. The issues are identical in both cases. It's just the figures that are different. Yeah, ironically, no one takes an ice vehicles and asks, how big is the fuel tank? Nobody cares if your tank, you know, takes 30 litres or 6 litres or even 100 litres. That just affects your wallet. No no one asks, how many miles can I get with the fuel I've just put in? Exactly. Which brings up the question of why are people anxious? If they run out of petrol, they wouldn't be anxious. But if they run out of charge, they would. Why? Well, fear of the unknown. You know, imagine the situation. 50 miles from your next charger, turtle mode, go slow. The car dies. You stop. What do you do? No spare electrons in the boots. How do you move forward? How do you move forward? Unfortunately, on a back of a flatbed truck. It's pretty much the only way call out roadside rescue and get them to a flatbed or tow you to a nearby charger. Most services include this as part of their offering. Generally, they'll tow you to a Polar charger uh, and they have Polar Plus cars to allow you to charge for, say, 10 miles to get you to get to a charger you can actually use. Although I believe the AA now actually have mobile chargers on board some of their vehicles to give you that little extra boost. Sure, they're powered by the diesel from the van engine, so nothing's perfect, but it's probably a little bit better than the flatbed. Yeah, either way, it's embarrassing. No one wants to really do that. Plus, it takes forever after you've called, wait for the truck and the car, winched on board, etc. So can can we make sure it doesn't happen? Uh, Well, of course we can. We take range anxiety off the table. And at its very simplest, you remove range anxiety by being prepared. Do your homework understand what you want to do and where you need to be and this breaks down into three different aspects number one always be charging abc number two use destination chargers wherever possible and number three plan and allow contingency these three rules will help to reduce range anxiety to to the absolute minimum so let's go through them now simon abc always be charging cars spend most of their time sitting doing nothing That's an ideal time to be charging them. When they're at home, in your driveway, that's the perfect time to have them plugged in, ready to go. Or when you're parked up in town, going to the cinema, having a meal, doing your shopping, it's just ideal. Even at grandma's, yes, using the good old granny charger, that's what it's there for. That's right. Whenever there's an opportunity to get a charge in your car, you should do so. However, there are caveats to that. If you're running solar panels or you have a cheap rate electricity deal for overnight charging, then you should ensure you take advantage of this whenever possible. Each situation is different and it makes sense to use whatever works for you. 
Also, when we say always be charging, you should take into account the charge cycles on your vehicle. It's not always good to keep uh, lithium-ion batteries charged up to 100% all the time. There are charge timers on most vehicles that can allow you to ensure you fill just the amount you need. If you've got, for example, a long journey the following day, get that charge up to 100%. If you're only planning on pooling around town, then maybe, you know, 70, 75, 80% might be enough. Don't ruin your battery health just for the sake of a few miles. The key there is to ensure you have the charge you need at the start of the day. Remember the, the guy we mentioned um, a week or two uh, back who, who borrowed an Audi e-tron and didn't charge it overnight. Oh, so yes. he had, <laughs> yes, that good old person. Yeah. Um, he had a trip to Oxford to do from Chichester, but didn't have enough range. So ended up driving his fossil fuel car. Just don't be that guy. EVs have this tremendous advantage over fossil fuel cars. For the most part, people can charge at home and leave every morning with a substantial number of miles in their GOM. And I should say GOM gasometer. Um, you, you simply cannot do this with a fossil fuel car. You go to bed at night with 50 miles worth of diesel in your tank. And guess what? You wake up the following morning with the same 50 miles worth. Not with an EV though. Now, incidentally, I was running the numbers recently. Uh, in the last six months, I've covered 6,000 miles in my Kia Soul. How much time do you think I've spent sitting at rapid chargers to cover that 6,000 miles? <laughs> I, I, I would imagine not very long. It actually works out at five minutes and 20 seconds per day on average. How do you manage? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you look at, at, at the figures, you've got 6,000 miles and it, you know, it takes 45, 50 minutes to charge up to 80%. And <laughs> da, da, da. Must be there for hours. <laughs> hours and hours and hours. No, it, I mean, yes, there are certain long distance trips I do where I might spend, you know, in total an hour sat on charges. But if you parse it out over individual days, five minutes, five minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, it's it's nothing. nothing. Absolutely. Right. Number two on our list, destination charges. Destination charges are defined as those charges that are supplied or exist wherever it is you are wanting to park your car other than home. This might be the supermarket. So Waitrose, Aldi, Little Tesco, Sainsbury's have all installed destination charges at some of their locations. In fact, the local Aldi near where my mother lives up in Yorkshire has just opened and they've got six, seven kilowatt pod point charges located nicely away from the entrance. So the chances mm. of them getting iced are, you know, very small. Other than that, there you know there are places like local car parks, work as as you said, Simon. There are some uh, businesses that offer charges uh, at the place of business. And one of the things that I found looking on some of the, the charger apps is that a number of shopping centre car parks are starting to offer seven kilowatt chargers on certain floors, and that number is starting to increase. Yeah, I mean, we both charged at Brent Cross when we went to see the uh, Tesla Model Three. Rather, right remember? Uh huh. Yeah. Places like Oracle, Reading, Meadowhall, uh, Sheffield, Westfield, and uh, Milton Keynes. You know, there there are all these big shopping centres that everybody goes on either a daily or weekly basis. It's spreading across the country with like other places in Birmingham and the traffic centre in Manchester and places like that. And and you're, you're absolutely right. They're putting almost some of, in some cases, whole floors of destination chargers in, which just makes EV driving so much easier because you're generally going to spend a bit more time within those buildings or those areas or within the facility of those, those chargers. So it just makes sense. Absolutely. Other places that have destination chargers include park and ride car parks, certain country parks, a lot of hotels. The list is increasing. 
generally with destination chargers also, you can use the Tesla ones if your car accepts the Type 2 charging, which most vehicles do. You'll be limited to the maximum speed of your onboard charger, but every little helps. Uh, remember, if you're using Tesla destination chargers, you can only use the ones with the white signs, not the red signs, because the ones with the red signs only specifically work on Teslas themselves. By the way, in an upcoming episode, we'll be talking in depth about chargers, charging speeds, the difference between AC charging and DC charging and what the different connectors are. So keep an eye out for that that'll be coming in a couple of weeks and the third way to avoid range anxiety is to have a plan for your stops aha right so tell me how you plan for long distance charging uh, you've just come back from a reasonably long trip up to norwich how did that work yeah so for the the, the norfolk trip so this was a, a holiday trip that uh, we occasionally do um, per year it's 130 uh, miles my car can probably do 130 miles um, at a stretch maybe 140 depending on weather but the whole thing was this it was back to planning so i checked zap map and plug share apps for a fast charger on route in this case, it was one of several Instavolt chargers in, in Norwich. So North and South had two Ballantyne's Gym that has two DC Instavolt chargers. So no matter which one I went to, I had a choice of four. But it also meant I could stretch my legs, grab a coffee, because Ballantyne Gyms have Starbucks, which is even better. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, all the posh stuff, and you don't have to go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you, you know, you're there for a 20 minutes to, to get a full charge again, coffee, stretch your legs. You know, I had my wife and child with me so they could get out of the car as well. And then, you know, we're kind of good to go for another 130 miles. And actually, when I got to that point, I was probably only on about 20, 24 miles left to go. So actually, not only did I have enough to get to my destination, but actually I filled right back up again. So any of the, the travel that I wanted to do in the area on, on my holiday up and down the coast, I could do very easily. I tend to work on the last but one charger principle. So when planning, I can take a, a theoretical maximum distance I'm prepared to drive with the charge I have in the car. This could be 80 miles or 100, 110 miles, depending on the weather. I then find the charger that is closest to where I am that isn't the last charger on that distance. So, for example, I go to my parents' house. They live in Yorkshire. I live in Hampshire. That's 210 miles. I can do that with two quick stops. My first one is usually the charging hub in Milton Keynes. But if none of the chargers there are available, which is highly unlikely, I can go to the Holiday Inn at Milton Keynes or one of 10,000 other chargers there are around there. But if for some reason I can't actually get off at Milton Keynes, I can go up to the Newport Pagnell services and use the Ecotristy charger. After that, my next stop is Derby. There are two chargers within two minutes of Junction 25 that I can choose from. If neither of those work, I can go down to the travel services for the Ecotristy ones there. I've then got enough to get home. But if things start to go downhill because of very bad weather or a long diversion, I can get off at Junction 33 on the M1 and use the pole charger at the Holiday Inn in Rotherham or I can go to the Ikea in Sheffield. So I'm not choosing the last charger before I'm going to run out of charge. I'm choosing the one prior to that. And then if there's a problem, I've still got the backup of the one that's left. And the key is always have options. But the other thing to remember is you need to know what your actual useful range is going to be when you're calculating how far you can go. So take my 30 kilowatt hour soul. Normally, I can get 125 to 130 miles on a full charge. In winter, that drops to 100 to 105. 
Now, I'll never run it down below about 20 miles on the GOM unless I absolutely have to. So that will give me a maximum usable range of between about 80 and 110 miles, depending on the time of year. When I recharge on a long journey, I'll recharge up to about 80% of the full chargeable range. So that's the optimum charge to get the longest distance in the shortest time. My soul tends to charge a lot quicker than other vehicles that have a similar size battery. So in winter, we're talking 80 miles. In summer, that's about 105 miles. And that lets you know what the actual range is you need to be looking at when calculating your next stop. How's that look for your i3, Simon? I suppose it's not too dissimilar. I get a little bit more um, with my 33 kilowatt hour i3, which is approximately 120 in the winter and 140 in the summer. And that's generally based on a lot of motorway driving. I generally, you'll probably drop maybe down to 110 and 130 if you're doing a lot of motorway, just because speed and, and, and things like that. You know, when I was going to Norfolk, you had a bit of everything. You had kind of motorway and you had smaller road so you're absolutely right you need to compare both and then get the average what you you kind of generally think and you you'll get that quite quickly i think and what's the uh, lowest you tend to run yours down before you start to get a little bit nervous to be honest i mean i, I mentioned before i got down to zero miles but that was i would say my first month of owning a, an electric car it's complete newbie electric car don't know what you're doing you do have range anxiety i had it once and then after that it went away but the lowest i generally run it now is probably down to about 15 20 miles because i always know within 15 or 20 miles there's going to be a charger whether that's a seven kilowatt charger or an ultra charger because there's so many of them out there now then generally there's not many places that you won't have at least that distance that you could get to if you're looking at a vehicle like, uh, you know, the Kona, the E-Nero, Model 3, the e-tron or the I-Pace, it's got a, a range of 250, 300 miles. That's going to give you a lot of leeway when you're trying to plan your charge stops. But it's also going to take you longer to charge at each stop until the 150 kilowatt charges become more widespread. Yeah, it'd be interesting as well when people, when they do, you know, start to get more and more of these, actually, are they the same as us? You know, do they then start to get down to the 10, 15 miles, or do they almost treat it like an ice car where, you know, I, I mentioned before, you, you kind of almost top up on a weekly basis. I think I probably would only charge once a week, if that, and it mm-hmm. would just be to sort of top up to what you need. So it'd just be interesting to see uh, uh, anyone out there that's listening to this that has already got one of those. It'd be interesting to get some feedback on that, perhaps. Absolutely. Quick question. What was the what was your first long distance run after you, after you took uh, ownership of your car where anxiety might have been an issue to be honest it wasn't a long journey it was actually a 30 mile journey to cambridge when uh, when range anxiety kind of kicked in so this was must have been within a first couple of weeks of owning it you know like i said complete newbie to evs didn't have a clue about them at, at all i only knew that it was shiny electric you know electric and it looked like fun and i wanted one but when i started driving i basically um hadn't charged enough overnight or the night before at the time i had work charges in there so i knew if i got to work i'd be fine and i had about 30 odd miles in in the guessometer so me being newbie for 30 miles i've got 30 miles to go to work easy not a problem i was basically going up one of the motorways uh, towards cambridge from from where i live it was on the motorway i was about probably five miles away from ecotricity and about eight miles away from work and it hit the five miles three miles, zero miles. And in a BMW i3, when it hits zero miles, it goes a brown colour, which pretty much like was was my range anxiety (laughs) colour at the same time. And what I was thinking, I was like, 
oh god, I'm going to be one of these people you hear about as a new EV driver that you've run out of juice and I'm end up on a flatbed lorry. And I'm, I wasn't even crawling along. I'm still, I'm in, I think eco eco mode, so that gives you about seventy miles uh, speed limit. So I was going along okay and all the rest of it. And I was getting nearer and nearer. I hit a traffic jam, which at that point, my range anxiety really went to 11. And it was like, oh, Christ, I'm not going to make this. And I could see the garage in the distance. And it was still on zero, still on zero, still going along, no problem. And I came off the motorway. Luckily, the Ecotricity at Cambridge Services was working, plugged in, sat there and had breakfast and a coffee for 20 minutes and charged my car. And actually, I, I generally think I could probably have got to work, but that range anxiety kind of the first real sort of time I had it, it kind of came over. But oh god, you know, I'm, I'm, that's it. The car's going to stop, and there's there's more there's more in the car than you think. Now, like a petrol or diesel car, you never want to get down to that level because you know petrol or diesel, as you know, you start dredging up all the bad fuel and stuff at the bottom of the tank. Yeah, it's not quite the same with a battery, but it doesn't do your battery any good if you're running it down to that level and now bmw i found out um, probably six months in that they have a bit of extra locked away about say about 20 25 miles in there Mm -hmm. and actually that's just to kind of keep your battery healthy over the course of its life which is eight plus years under their warranty you you kind of always think it's going to be a long journey but actually mine was the smallest journey probably i i do it was very strange my uh... (laughs) My first long journey, about eight, nine days after I got the car, home for Christmas on the route that I talked about a few moments ago, Hampshire up to Yorkshire, bad weather, headwind, rain. This was before the Milton Keynes hub had actually opened, so I had to stop a little bit earlier on Junction 5. Couldn't find the first charger that was supposed to be there because I think it had been iced and um, I hadn't actually realised exactly where it was. So I then had to go and find the second charger that was two miles away. But once I'd found that, Absolutely no problem. Never once did I get below the 20 miles. All the chargers were working. I had my primary charger, my backup charger. It all went like clockwork. Now, on the subject of chargers, you talked about ZapMap and things like that. How do we find where our nearest chargers are, Simon? My kind of Bible of apps that we use is ZapMap, PlugShare or um, uh, WhatsApp. And there are numerous apps and websites that show, uh, show this information. Many of them have route planning functions. Uh, which allow you to plug your vehicle, start and end points, minimum and maximum charge requirements, efficiencies, etc. into the planet, and it'll work out your preferred route. So they're they're pretty pretty clever now in terms of what these apps can do for you. Now, what about if you want to just get in and drive? Well, sure, that's no problem at all. But the key thing to remember is that little readout on your dashboard, the GOM, is just a guess. That's why it's called the guesser meter. Do not take what it says at face value. Um, it will lie to you. So what are the different things that cause it to lie to you? I have this thing on, on, on the i3. You know, if I start with, say, 140 miles on the guesser meter and I think, hey, happy days. Then you put in on the sat nav where you want to go. And actually, the car itself will work out not only the route in terms of whether you're going on motorways or smaller roads, whether you've got hills and elevation. So uh, all these things are taken into account on the guessometer, and then that range will actually drop down to a more realistic level. If you haven't got that on an EV, then essentially those factors, so elevation, what kind of road you're going on, so that will depend on how quick you're going. Mm-hmm. 
whether it's motorway speed or, or lower speed, weather as well. So if you're in the middle of winter, expect your range to drop and expect your guesser meter to kind of you know be a little bit more tricky. But in the in the warmer weather, um, it's absolutely brilliant. So you you know you'll get more range. But again, you still have to be very cautious of it. You know, things like all the, it's all the kind of environmental factors, really. Well, yeah, I mean, headwinds tend to be a bit of a problem as well and wet roads, that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that they actually have the same effect on internal combustion engines. But because you don't have a, you generally don't have a readout in the middle of the dashboard telling you how many miles are left on an internal combustion engine. (laughs) It doesn't tend to worry you so much. Uh, Now, I'm talking about getting in and driving. Did I not hear that about eight months ago you decided you were going to France just for the day? <laughs> so, so yeah, this was um, a really stupid idea at the time. It seemed that when I bought my electric car, lots of silly things came into my head. You know, one almost like, you know, what can this car do? And all the rest of it, I'm very excited about a new bit of tech. The other part of me, you know, I started a, a YouTube channel, which, you know, you can find the links, but I wanted to kind of do something I'd never done before. So in an, a diesel or a car that I had before, I probably wouldn't have gone the kind of distances just because of how much it costs. But actually I thought, well, if this isn't going to cost me that much money, what, where can I go that I've, I've always wanted to do? And actually I've always wanted to go to Dunkirk in France. Now, anyone that knows where Dunkirk in France is, it's not actually that far when you get to Europe. It's like 45 miles from the coast of Calais up the coast and you're pretty much there. For a new EV driver, there's certain things that made me a bit nervous. Not all EV related. So there was a, first of all, there was 120 mile from where I live down to Folkestone, where the Mm -hmm. Channel Tunnel is. Now, bearing in mind, I'd booked all of this and planned all this a week before I was going. I just thought, that's where I want to go. And I'm going to book a Channel Tunnel ticket. And I'm going to try and work out this stuff as I go. And and away I went. I'd never been on the Channel Tunnel. So I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what you had to do, you know. When you get down there, to be honest, it's relatively straightforward. But for a person that's never done it, it's a little daunting. There's other things like, you know, when you drive in Europe, you have to have certain things. Like you have to have two breathalysers. You have to have a certain sticker on there. If you're going into the cities, you can get a uh, a green EV sticker. It's just essentially is a, a zero emissions car. And then I thought, well, how about charging? Does that work the same way? Does is the and The thoughts are through my head was... Is electric going to be the same way? You know, if you go abroad, usually you have a little plug, don't you, in the in the wall that converts it or a, a different type of plug. An adapter, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, is that the same? What, what do I do? So I've done a bit of reading up on it, uh, you know, about 24, 48 hours before I went. And uh, luckily, I'd kind of uh, I'd done some reading about these cards that you, that you have. So I managed to get a, car, a couple of cards pretty quickly. I drove all the way to Dunkirk. I drove all the way back from Dunkirk, back across the Channel Tunnel to Folkestone again, charged in and went home. So actually, I didn't even have to use the charging in, in Europe whatsoever. If you are doing that, there's just, there's a bit more planning. And, and to be honest, there's there's no less planning if I have gone across in a nice car. Yes, you can get further and things like that in a, in a petrol car, but um, it's not complicated. You know, actually, they've made it relatively straightforward. We're still struggling with multiple apps and charging ways and all that sort of stuff. And they seem to have kind of cottoned onto that and at least given, you know, a few options to, to make it easier. So to summarise, range anxiety shouldn't really be called range anxiety. It should be called charger anxiety. It doesn't matter if your car does 80 miles on a charge or 500 miles on a charge. If you're running low and there are no available chargers, you'll get anxiety. But the same goes for petrol pumps. Diesel cars doing 800 miles in a tank still have trouble refuelling if you run out in the highlands of Scotland, miles away from a petrol station. To reduce your charger anxiety, follow the three steps that we talked about. Number one, always be charging. Number two, 
Use destination charges wherever possible. Number three, plan your stops with contingency. We've said it several times before on this podcast, the UK charging infrastructure is not 100% where it needs to be right at this moment in time, but that is changing. Within a few short years, chargers will be commonplace and they will outnumber petrol pumps. At the moment, they outnumber petrol stations, but not pumps. And once this happens, your only issue is going to be deciding which charger to use when you get to your charge stop or end destination. Until then, bear those three points above in mind and you'll minimise your charger anxiety tremendously. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing you've come across that we can share with our listeners. Mine was a little bit different this week, not necessarily EV or renewable related, but cool nonetheless. So uh, people that know uh, our good friend in EV world as Elon Musk owns um, several companies, one of those being SpaceX. So SpaceX, if people don't know, is a privately run space program. So essentially, uh, they are a private rocket company that, you know, shuttles various things up to the International Space Station and various other places for NASA and anyone else. But the thing that really amazed me this week is somebody posted a picture and we'll put a link to it in the details below. But there's a bottom half of the Falcon Heavy rocket. And then at the very tiny bit that you can see right in the bottom of the photo are people. This thing is just mental. (laughs) It's just like, you know, the sheer engineering that goes into it to get these things off the ground in the first place. But actually then to be able to make them land by themselves on these platforms perfectly is just astounding. And the, the picture to me really just kind of summed it up. And it was like, you know... It's kind of the heyday of the NASA rockets of, you know, the, the 70s. Anyone that's been to um, NASA in Florida will will know literally how small you are. Mm. But these Falcon Heavy things are just incredible. Yeah, the, the the picture, you've got to see the picture. It's just it's just crazy what, you know, seeing these tiny little people against this huge rocket is it's nuts. I, I looked at the picture and uh, the problem that everybody has is when you see this on the TV there's no sense of scale. No. <laughs> you know, okay, so it's a rocket, so you don't expect it to be tiny. But, mm. you know, it comes down, it lands on a landing pad. Well, you know, is that a landing pad that's 50 feet across or 500 feet across? You don't necessarily yeah. have a sense of scale. But when you see this picture, it is literally, it's just the uh, the support legs and the bottom, <laughs> you know, 10th or, you know, 15% of, of, of the actual rocket itself. And as you say, tiny tiny people next to it just to give you some sense of uh, scale it is a very very cool photo yeah it's mind blowing my cool thing is something that i saw at fully charged uh, live a few weeks back it's a company that's it's been called the netflix of ev leasing it's called ev easy ev ezy their business model is that you can lease whichever ev you want for a month for a fixed price you register with them. All you need is a driving license, proof of address and uh, a selfie for some reason. There we go. Uh, you can collect the car either from one of their uh, depots. They've got a number scattered around the uh, country or you get it delivered. It's unlocked using an app. You drive it for a month and then you either give it back to them or you rent it for another month or you just swap it out for a completely different vehicle. As I say, everything's controlled via the app. They have a reasonably limited stock of vehicles, but that does include the new Model 3. There's also i3, a Leaf, 
Ionic and the Renault Zoe. Prices start from £289 a month for the Zoe up to £799 for the Model 3 long range. As we've often said, getting someone into an EV for a drive is usually one of the key factors in convincing them that an EV is the right thing for them. And this feels to be a relatively, in quotes, cheap and simple way of doing that. Links to their website are in the show notes. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at The EV Side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm The Real Gary C on Twitter. If you're new to EVs or thinking of getting one and you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99 pence or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also now on YouTube. Search for the EV Musings podcast and you'll find the channel there for those of you who like to listen to podcasts via the medium of visual. Wherever you listen to us, please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not just shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.